So I said that today's kind of Father's Day, Men's Day, Day. And I said that because I, I really feel like God wants to speak to men and to fathers, but to men. And I want you to, um, I want you to receive this message because it's, it's a hard one for me because I think it's a little bit of a strong message. So um, I believe it's the Lord. Uh, I want you to receive it from the Lord. And if you feel like I'm talking to you, honestly, when I put this together, there's not a person's face that was on this message at all. But if you feel like I'm talking to you, then you, know, you really need to listen good because that's the Lord speaking to you. In 1988, 26% of American children lived in fatherless homes. In 2005, 37% of American children lived in fatherless homes. Statistically, that's off the page significant. In 17 years, that's a 42% increase in children living in a home without a dad. 42% in 17 years for a, a society that's been around for hundreds of years is a really scary statistic. 40% of those children have not seen their father in the last year. Nearly half of children living in father-absent homes have never even seen their father's home. Boys growing up in a fatherless home are more than 50% more likely to commit a crime and to be incarcerated. America has the lowest rate of children being raised by both biological parents in the entire Western world. And we call ourselves the greatest nation on earth. And I don't know how we measure being the greatest nation on earth, but the greatest nation on earth would not have 42% of its children living in fatherless homes and have the highest rate of any other nation that you would consider to be a like nation. So why is that? My guess is there's a million reasons why that is. But I think not the least of those reasons is that in our culture, we are seriously lacking in character in men. That men have become marginalized by television shows, by all these different things. And somehow, as men, we've wandered into this place of thinking it's okay to be less than a man. But men gotta be men. Men gotta be men. What does character look like? I think character looks like knowing the difference between right and wrong, between moral and immoral, between good and bad, and then choosing good, choosing moral, choosing right. That's what character looks like. It's not just to know the difference between right and wrong, but to actually choose and do what's right. Jesus in Matthew 5.37 said, Let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is of evil. Is of evil, is from the evil one. A man ought to be known by his word. Every man wants to be known by his word, but most men are not known by their word because they don't let their yes be yes. I cannot begin to tell you how many times with Bryn, right? I mean, we had Ryan and we had Joe and, you know, I did the best job that I thought I could. I'm, I'm sure I could have done better. I didn't have the revelation of scripture to help me, but I know so many things I did wrong. 
So many things I should have been that I wasn't. And I purpose before the Lord not to let any of those things be how I am as a father and a man before my new daughter. And she'll ask me things, and I have to stop myself, and I'm conscious before I answer her because my yes needs to be yes and my no needs to be no. And I don't want to flippantly say yes and then change my mind because I didn't consider the question that she asked me. And she's got a little bit of Joe in her because she'll ask me something 100 times. And now she'll ask me 50 times. And maybe a month from now, she'll only ask me 25 times because I'll say no. And I look at her and I say, honey, daddy's yes is his yes. And his no is his no. And if I say yes, I mean yes because I've considered what you've asked me and I've said yes. But if I say no, I mean no because I've considered what you've asked me and I've said no. And you need to understand that daddy's yes is his yes and his no is his no. And I'm trying to get her to understand that too, that when she makes a commitment, when she says something, that she has to do it because her yes needs to be yes and her no needs to be no. But she'll never be that way if I don't model it for her. Never. A man's word should always be sufficient for another man to know what to expect from him. You know, um, if I, gosh, this is the one that's, honestly, there's no face on this. If I say I'm going to be on the softball team, we shouldn't have to cancel a game because five out of 17 guys only showed up. You know, sometimes you want to do something that's, you, you want to do it more than what you said you were going to do. You have to say no, because I made a commitment our yes needs to be yes and our no needs to be no. A man needs to be able to be sure when another man tells him yes that he means yes and when he, means, when he says no that he means no because that's his word and he's bound to his word because he's a man of honor. God created this order. I think I talked about this a little bit in a message some time ago. But he created this order and he created it especially in families but it's true in general. And you see it in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. It reads, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. In Ephesians 5.23, Paul says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. So there's an order. Even Jesus is submissive to God, the Father. God is the head of Jesus. When God turns his head and looks another way and he sees something for Jesus to do, Jesus goes and does it. Jesus is the head of man. So as I'm fully, completely submitted to the Lord, as his head turns, I go. As his mind thinks, I respond. I wish I could tell you that I'm 100% there. I pray to God that I'll get there and it won't be two seconds before he calls me home because I want to be able to model Jesus Christ in his perfection to other people. I really do. I want to be the guy that Teresa called me earlier today. I'm not the guy I was. I love your shirt. I'm not the man I uh, I'm not the man I ought to be. Thank God I'm not the man I used to be. And thank him even more for the man I'm gonna be. Because he's doing a work. But there's an order. The husband is the head of the wife. Christ is also the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. Now, if you continue to read in chapter 5, men love the next verse, right? The next verse reads, But as the church is subject to Christ, 
so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands and everything. So just like the church is the body, Jesus is the head, the church absolutely subjecting itself to Jesus as the head. The wife ought to be subject to the husband in the same way. And men love to read that verse to their wives because men want to be in charge. Men are wired to be leaders. Men are wired to be in charge. We don't feel this way because we want to. We feel this way because how we're made. But men, you have no right to verse 24 till you start to live verse 25. Verse 25 says... Husbands, love your wives, just as, G- or just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So you purpose in yourself. You make a commitment today to never tell your wife that she's to be subject to you until you start to live the life that says that I love my wife the way Jesus loved the church, and I've given myself up for her the way he did for me as the church. Philippians uh, chapter 2, you get a bit of a sense for what loving our wives like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her looks like. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For the church, for his bride, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. And not merely just death. You know, I pray that that when God takes me, that I am perfectly whole, that I am capable, I'm healthy, I'm well, and just, bam, he just takes me. But Jesus couldn't go that way. He had to submit himself for the church to the Father, not just to the point of death, but to death on a cross, preceded by a flogging, preceded by having his beard plucked out and a thorny crown jammed into his head. That's how Jesus loved the church. Men got to be men. Men got to love their wife like Jesus loved the church. Men got to give themselves up for her. When we do that, you won't ever have to ask your wife to be subject to you as you are to the church or as you are to the Lord because it'll be a pleasure for her to do that. Women stand in the place of men because men won't stand there. Men figure out that I can get my wife to do this. I'm not saying consciously, but men figure out that they don't have to do much because they're a man. And because the man is wired to be the leader. The woman is not. But if the man doesn't lead, somebody has to. When the buck stops with your wife and not you, that's a problem. She's going to do what you don't do because somebody's got to do it. That doesn't make her the head. That makes you a messed up head. Love your wives. Give yourself up for her like Jesus loved the church. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Kingdom order. God, Jesus, man, woman. God never failed Jesus. Jesus never failed us, men. Men gotta be men. Being a man's gonna cost you something. 
In Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45, Jesus says, Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is our model of a man. He's not our cultural model of a man. Our cultural model of a man is a cowboy with a big gun and a you know steel knuckle fist, and he's knocking guys down, and he's tough, and all those kind of things, but... That's not the biblical picture of a man. A biblical picture of a man is humble. A biblical picture of a man is a servant. A biblical picture of a man is somebody who considers others more important than himself. God can do great things through a humble man. Being a man will cost you something, but the rewards are truly great. Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. A man really needs to be honored. Sometimes we try to command honor when we don't earn honor. The only people, the only people that have to honor you as a man, even if you're a bum, is your children. Because God says, children, honor your parents. It's the first command that comes with a promise. If a child will honor their parents, it's, the Bible says that, that things will go well for them and they'll live a long life. It doesn't say honor your good parents and you don't have to honor bad parents. It says honor your parents. Outside of your children, you don't get honor from anybody that you don't earn. But we, we want to command honor by position. Just like the, um, i trying to remember what he called them, the Gentiles. said so the Gentiles lorded over them. They had, they had cultural, um, governmental authority, so they lorded it over them. Because they didn't know how to be a leader, they had to use power to lead. You know, the fist, the, the police force, the Roman soldier, their... Their authority came from that. They tried to then feel honor, but it's not real honor. Honor comes from being a man, by serving others, by being humble. Let's talk about fatherless children a little bit. James uh, chapter 1 and verse 27 reads, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. An orphan is a child without Right, this, the the typical definition of a child is, or an orphan is a child without parents. But we orphan our children in many many ways, even if they have parents. When a dad doesn't look like a man to his son or to his daughter, they're an orphan. There's something missing. They're without something that they gotta have because God gave them a mother, and He gave them a father for the purpose of imparting into them all the things that they need so that when they grow up, they can be a father, they can be a mother, they can be a man, they can be a woman, and they can properly function in society. When a man doesn't be a man, then he doesn't impart to his children what God needs them to have so that they can be functional people, Christians aside, functional people in society. When you don't learn from your dad how to be a man, it's difficult for you to be a man. And it's important for a mom, but it's more important for a dad because the dad is the head. Need someone to look up to. 
and model being a man, a man whose yes is his yes, a man who loves his wife and gives herself up for her. How many times I wonder, I thank God for you, Ryan, and the man that you are, and the husband and the dad that you are, because you didn't learn all that from me. I can't imagine being a bum of a dad and having a son who was a bum of a husband and watch him be a bum of a father and not be able to do anything because you could see him wrecking his children and wrecking his wife and knowing it's because you didn't stand up and do the things that you were supposed to do and be the person that you were supposed to be. And he's modeling exactly what he saw. Thank God, I don't know where, that it must be grace that it, that it can be broken. But it won't be systemically, it won't be culturally broken until we all start to be men. Paul taught this truth when he said in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17, he said, I do not write these things to shame you. And honestly, I'm not saying these things to shame you. I've changed this message uh, 300 times. It's probably just a tiny exaggeration. But literally over and over again, scripture after scripture, where does it go? What's the order? How does it make sense, Lord? So many times, agonized. Lord, I don't want to yell at people. I don't want to tell them they're bums. Honestly, we got a church full of pretty darn good men. We could all be better men. Paul says, I don't write this to shame you. I don't say these words to shame you, but to encourage you, to stir you. He says, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Paul, what courage. I don't know that I would have the courage to say, be imitators of me. I'd be afraid. What if I fall? Then I'll be ridiculed. Then I'll have shame. Paul was so strong. He said, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul was a man. Timothy was his beloved child in the Lord. Timothy watched and modeled Paul. Paul wasn't afraid to send Timothy. Why? Because Paul knew that Timothy was a man. He knew it. Timothy did the things he had to do. He said the things that needed to be said. He developed love in his heart. He did all that by watching Paul, his father in the faith. He was modeling a man, a godly man to him. Until men start being men, until men start being men, all we'll raise are selfish little boys getting older. I'm not a pastor for 30 years like that guy at Mount Hope Church, but in my short time as a leader, you know, within the Freedom Center Church and pastor here at Church on the Street, I've had a pretty good number of opportunities to see people struggling and to talk to them and to try to share the Lord with them and try to encourage them and whatnot. And I cannot tell you how many times the problem is a man that wants to be a little boy. He wants to have what he wants to have. He doesn't want to grow up and understand that there's a certain sacrifice that comes to being a father and a man. And he spends money that the family doesn't have and creates debt and problems and tension because he wants to be a little boy with a mommy, not a man with a wife, not a husband. Men got to be men. So you might say to yourself, I don't know if I have what it takes. What, what do I need? What, is a, what does a guy have to be to be a man? Well, I think there's some level of ability 
right? You have to have the ability to, to do something or to act in a particular way. The capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events in situations. You need that ability to do that. You need some level of passion. A man's got to have passion because he's going to be placed in situations of influence that God's going to have him to influence. Least of which is your, or not the least of which, excuse me, is your home. There's got to be passion in a man's heart to be able to influence the things that God's placed in front of him to have influence on. Ability and passion are critical, but so often we have the ability and we have the passion, but we don't act. We don't do the things that we know we're to do. So maybe we need some special ability with regard to ourselves. The ability to control our feelings and overcome our weaknesses. The ability to pursue what we think is right despite the, temp- the, or excuse me, the temptation to not do it. The last hurdle might be the things that we need to personally overcome. Things that cause us to expect danger or physical and emotional pain. We need to overcome those things. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. 2 Timothy is a cool book. Read 2 Timothy and understand that the Apostle Paul, he's, he's run the course. You know, he's, he's, he's ready to get the prize. He's, he's almost used up. He's back in prison. He knows he's not going to live too much longer. Timothy, his son in the faith, the one he loved probably more than anybody else, is the last communication he's sending this letter off to Timothy. And he's telling him the things that a father would tell his son when he knows he's not going to have an opportunity to tell him any more things. Paul says to Timothy, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. Those abilities, those things I read to you, the first one, the ability to do something or act in a particular way, the capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events, that's the, that's the dictionary definition of power. Passion. To do what you need to do, to have a heart passion for the things that God needs you to influence is love. Maybe we need some special ability with regard to ourselves, the ability to control our feelings and overcome our weaknesses, the ability to pursue what we think is right despite temptation to abandon it. Self-discipline. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. The last thing, the last hurdle we might have are things that we need to personally overcome, things that cause us to expect danger or physical and emotional pain. Fear. Fear, power, love, discipline. God has not given us a spirit of fear. If we're afraid, that's not from God. God wouldn't put us in a situation that's going to cause us to fear. The situation will bring fear because we listen to the wrong spirit. He's given us everything we need to be men. We need power. Men got to have power to do what they're called to do. To be the head, you got to have power. God's given us a spirit of power. Man's got to have a passion. You got to have something to move your heart to do the things that you need to do, to love your wife the way Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's love. God's given us a spirit of love. And the one that we probably need to exercise the most is the one that when we know what we're supposed to do, and I'm not talking about always, you know, these big earth-shattering things. I'm talking about my wife needs a little bit of my time, but the football game is on. The discipline to do what's right. 
God gave us a spirit of discipline, self-discipline. Guys, there's nothing, if you're born again, the answer to, are you born again, is yes. Then you have the Holy Spirit. There's absolutely nothing that you require to be a man that you don't already have. The key is we've got to walk in it. All of us got to walk in it. As we start to walk in the power that God's given us through his spirit, as we start to walk in the love that God's given us through his spirit, and we exercise the discipline that he's given us through his spirit, then we'll influence the people around us. Then our children will grow up to be healthy, godly men and women that will reproduce healthy and godly men and women. Life will be different. The world can change if Christian men will stand up and be men. Guys, our sons need us to be men. Our daughters need us to be men. Gosh, sometimes even our parents need us to be men. The Lord needs us to be men. We have everything that we need. We just need to do it. I want to pray. There's always room for improvement. I'm looking across this room and I'm seeing men. I really am. I'm seeing men that if, that if I was your dad, I'd be proud of you. I really would. I see you doing good things. I see you loving your wives and caring for your children. I see a lot of good husbands. The call is really, it's a substantial call for us to be men. It's a substantial call for us to be dads. Don't be discouraged by what I'm telling you today. Be encouraged. Be edified. Holy Spirit, stir us. Stir us, Holy Spirit. Stir us, Lord. Fellas, stand up. If you're all the men, stand up. Tyler, stand up, buddy. Kyle, stand up. Stand up. I'm cramping. Neil, thank you. Stand up. You're a prophetic statement. You're a prophetic statement. You're a prophetic statement. You're a prophetic statement. Did I miss anybody? Hunter, you're a prophetic statement. All right. Pray for your men. Father, thank you for the spirit of power and love and a sound mind, self-discipline. Thank you, Lord, that you did not give us a spirit of fear. And he that is in this... Us is greater than he that's in the world. We declare that we will be men. That we'll stand up. That we'll follow you, Jesus. That we'll be like you. And if we fail, we'll get up and we'll go again. We won't be condemned. Will be examples, godly examples, like Paul was to Timothy for our sons and our daughters, for our neighbors, for everyone that would see us, light and salt, the head, not the tail. We'll love our wives like you love the church, Jesus. We will give ourselves up for her. It's only by your grace anyway. We would have never had it in us to begin with. Only by your grace. 
Thank you, Lord. Give us boldness and give us humility. Help us, Lord. Help us to grow in humility. As we grow in humility, you can do so many amazing things through us. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless these men. I bless these adult men and I bless these prophetic men. Each and every one of them to be just awesome, awesome models of you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Seems like a clumsy stop, but I'm done. <laughs> God bless you guys. Fellas, please don't, don't, don't misread God's heart for you. Thank you. All right. Well, have an awesome Father's Day. A really wonderful Sunday. See you next week. Thanks for putting up with like a long, long bunch of announcements. We love you.